Jesus. But in those times of preparation, he also experienced many lows. Jesus rebuked him. When Peter was trying to solve things with his carnal mind and not seek after the will of God, the Lord rebuked him. Peter, although he stepped out of the boat, he began to, to sink, and, and he, he was called out on his lack of faith from God. In the midst of one of the greatest trials of his life, instead of spending time in prayer and dedication, Peter slept. He denied Christ three times the crucifixion. There were a lot of lows in Peter's life. But it was through every high and every low that the Lord used those things to prepare Simon Peter. In each victory and each defeat, we, we see him grow. And sometimes we learn a whole lot more in that defeat than we do in the victory. I know it's not fun, but usually it's, at least for me in my life, that's, that's where I've got my biggest lessons. Is it when I'm on the mountaintop? It's when I'm in the valley, when it seems like all the odds are stacked against me. That's when God truly speaks to me. And that's where we stopped last week. We talked about Peter's potential. We talked about Peter's preparation. But that's not where his story ends. And I know you're not supposed to give your, your big thought-provoking point till the end of the, the sermon, but, but is it okay if I just give it right now and we go back to it at the end and pretend like we didn't already hear it? Because I truly believe that God didn't call us to a life of potential. He didn't spend all this time preparing us for what we're capable of or, or just to have us sit and wait for our moment. But he prepared us, he invested in us, he poured into us so that we might act. He called us to a purpose. He let you experience the thrill of victory, and he let you go through those tough times of defeats and trials to grow and equip you because there's a work that needs to be done. I know it's Bible study, and I'll dig into the word in just a minute, but, but I believe that God is speaking to the church today, and he's saying it's time to get to work. Your potential, everything that you've gone through in your life so far means absolutely nothing if you don't use it for the kingdom of God. Because God's got a purpose for you, and now is our time to step into it. Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 20 says, now the, now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will working in you, which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. See, it doesn't say once you're prepared enough and once you're perfect, that's when you'll reach your full, full potential, and then that's when God wants you to work. But it says while you're getting ready, it says while you're getting ready to work, when you're doing those things, that's when he's actually working on you. The, perfect, the word perfect in that verse is actually translated as, uh, I'm going to butcher this, katartizio, which means being equipped. So what that verse is literally saying is you are being equipped with every good work that you do. Stop waiting on God to say that you're ready. Stop waiting for your moment to do something. The word says that he will equip you with every good work that you do, but you got to get to work if you want him to equip you. You've got to learn to act. Because it's through your actions that you're being in the process of being equipped. And that's how the will of God is able to be fulfilled is when we're equipped. The biggest lie that the church believes today is it's, if it's the will of God, then it's going to happen. I've heard that all my life. When you pray for something, you say, you know what? Well, if it's the will of God, if, the, if it's the will of God for them to be healed, then they'll be healed. If it's the will of God for them to have revival, then we'll have revival. But 2 Peter 3, 9 says, Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What Peter was teaching us here is, it's the will of God that none should perish, that none should, should, should go to hell, but all should come to repentance. So why are there so many sinners going to hell today? If it's the will of God that none should perish. And this is the point. It's, it's because without your action, God's will is still a failure. God's will can't be achieved unless we are used, unless we get to work. He can't will you into repentance. It doesn't work that way. God's will isn't enough, but he needs us to act. He needs a willing vessel to say, Lord, you know what? Use me. Whatever it is to, to see your, your word fulfilled, to, to have your will in my life, Lord, use me. If it's the will of God for them to be healed, he needs someone willing to activate their faith and go pray for a healing. It's the will of God for the city of Kendaville to experience revival, but he's needing some saints who will go all in and become disciples. 
who will dedicate themselves to a, to a life of prayer and fasting, he, he's needing some saints to say that, Lord, it doesn't matter what my agenda is. All that matters is what you've called me to do. We're full of potential. And he's prepared us and equipped us. And now it's time for us to act. Acts chapter 2, verse 2 says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were with one accord and in one place. Because, see, God told them that he had more for them. And they got together and they got determined. And they got focused and they got aligned on a single vision. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And it appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it sat on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. God responded to their determination by giving them power. God responded to their focus by rewarding them with what he promised he was going to give them. Verse 5 says, And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together, and they were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how, how we hear every man in our own tongue wherein we were born. And there's going to be a bunch of countries coming up, and I'm going to skip over those because I don't want to butcher them tonight. But we're going to skip down to verse number 11, and it says, We do hear them speak in our tongues to the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocked and said, These men are of new wine. And isn't that just like the world? When they don't understand something, they begin to mock it and they begin to make fun of it because it's so much easier to do that than to take time and understand it. But in the midst of their mocking, God still had a plan. Verse 14 says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is the third hour of the day. But this is which that was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days with God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And all my servants and handmaidens, I will pour out in those days my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth below, blood, fire, and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and notable day, uh, notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Peter was telling this crowd, the Lord told us that this was coming. He had a plan for us all along. Now you can sit by and you can question what's going on and you can mock it. Or you can look at all the signs around you and you can see the fulfillment of God's promise. And he was telling them, you know what? Not only can you see the fulfillment of God's promise, but you can be a part of it. But you have to act. You have to call out on the name of the Lord for your salvation. We're going to skip down to verse number 37, and it says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You see, repentance in this verse is Greek, and it was a metatsnaio, which means a change of mind, a regret for sins resulting in a change of conduct. Repentance is not just asking for, for the sins that you've committed to be erased, but true repentance requires a change in mindset. It requires that we change how we act. Verse number 39 says, For the promise is unto you and to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourself from this untoward generation. Once again, he's giving them some direction. He says, you've got to save yourself. He's calling the, the multitudes to action. Calling them to, to take on some personal responsibility. Peter's telling them, listen, I can't, I can't do it for you. These words that I'm speaking, they're, they're not enough to save you, but you've got to, to make some changes in your life. You've got to put in the work. You've got to save yourself. 41 says, Then they gladly received his word and were baptized, 
And the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And the people that received his word, they were the same ones that were mocking him just a few verses ago in 12 and 13. And I think that there's a reason for that. Because sometimes we think, you know what, the people that are so mean to us, the ones that look down on us, the ones that, 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 that tease us and judge us, I believe that, that that's the person that sometimes God's working on and he's opening up a door for us to speak to. But, but, but they think I'm an idiot. They, they make fun of my beliefs. They, they, they tease me. They mock me. And, but God's saying, you know what? But what you don't see is I'm preparing them and I'm working on them and I've sent you to lead them to me. Verse 42 says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking in bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were done by the apostles. And I always thought it was a little weird that it says fear came upon them. Because we're talking about all these great signs and wonders and miracles, and it says that everyone was full of fear. But if you study that word fear, how it's used in that scripture, what it means is actually to be in awe. So when he says that fear came upon every one of them, it says every person that was there that witnessed this, they were in awe. After this amazing time in the upper room, everyone that was, that was ministered to left that place in awe of what God had just done. And what I love is, is that fear came upon every soul. It was every single person, not just on those that believed, but everyone that was there, they, they were in awe of what happened. They, they left that place and they weren't the same. And that's the kind of church that God is calling us to, where we're from the front to the back. It, it doesn't matter that there's just three or four at the altar, but every single person is going to experience something that when we leave this place, we're going to say, you know what? That was amazing. We're in awe of what God is doing. Because it's that kind of environment that, that goes out and it spreads like wildfire when we go to our, our places of, of, of work and our homes. Acts chapter 3, it says, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. And as they approached the temple, a lame man from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from all the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. And the man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter says, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. You see, Peter might have given him money before in the past, but this time he decided to activate his faith. He began to, to, to speak a word of faith, and, and he spoke it with the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. And this situation, it's not new. It's, the, the situation wasn't something that was new to them, but Peter chose to look at it a different way. He he chose to look at it through God's eyes and not his carnal eyes, a lesson that he learned from Jesus. Because his carnal mind says, you can probably spare a few dollars to, to help someone out. But his faith says, the need isn't just to, to get him till tomorrow, but the need in his life is a life transformation. I feel like, like God's trying to get us out of this lame man mentality where we're, 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 we're faithful. We, we, we come to service every week and, and we come to the altar and we ask God to do something for us just to get us by to another day. But I, but I believe that God is calling some saints to a life that is transformed today. He's saying that you can, you can keep coming to services and getting just enough to, to get your by or you can activate your faith and, and you can walk in the miraculous. The lame man didn't even have to ask for his healing. He just kept showing up and being faithful. And I'm talking to the most faithful saints that we've got tonight on a Wednesday night when it's negative 20 degrees. And he's telling you, you know what? I've got more for you. I've got more than you could even imagine. You don't even have to ask for it. I just need you to, to activate your faith and take a step out. I just need you to act. And verse number seven says, Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and he helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up and he stood at his feet and he began to walk, then walking, leaping, and praising God. He went on to the temple with them. And I love how he just didn't speak a word of faith to this lame man, but as soon as he did it, he reached down for him. He was expecting a miracle. I'm talking about a man living a life of action. Verse number 9 says, And when they saw him walking and heard him praising God, when they realized he was the same lame beggar that they had seen so often at the gate beautiful, that they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade, and 
where this man was, he was holding tightly to Peter and John. And, and Peter, he saw this opportunity and he addressed the crowd. And he said, people of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we made this man walk on our own power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant, Jesus, by doing this. When people saw the miracle, that's what got their attention. When they heard the testimony of the lame man, when when they saw the life transformation, that's when they began to gather around. That's when they wanted to hear what Peter had to say. And while everyone is focusing on the miracle, Peter begins to preach salvation. And the Bible says that conviction came upon them. This became a trend with the early church. They, they went out preaching and, and teaching the gospel, but, but what made people stop and actually pay attention was when they saw the power of God. When they saw what God was capable of, that's when they desired to know more about him. Moving on to Acts chapter 5. And by the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders wrought among them. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And the believers were more added to the Lord multitudes, both men and women, insomuch that they brought forth their sick into the streets, and they laid them on their beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. They thought, if we could just get close enough, we know that there's something special about him, that that there's something that happens when Peter walks by, that if we can just get his shadow to touch us, we might be healed. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about them in Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they healed them, every one. And if you go back to verse number 14, it says that the believers were, were added to the Lord. More, more and more believers were added, because of, not because of the amazing messages that, that Peter and the apostles were teaching, but it was the, the, the signs and the wonders that got their attention. And once their attention was there, then that's when they were able to, to speak to them and, and teach them. Once the multitude saw what God was capable of, that's when they became believers. That's when they wanted to know more. And this is where I'm going to be a little bit mean tonight. But you want to know why God isn't asking us to, to witness in public and he's not opening up doors for us to, to be a light to the world? Because some of us, instead of living a life of joy and peace and faith, we walk around and we look like a bunch of grumpy gusses. Yeah, I mean, your life is going pretty bad. But let me tell you about why my life is worse than your life. Oh, and by the way, let me tell you about my Jesus, too. No one cares about our Jesus when they look at our life and they say, dude, you're struggling more than I am. You're, you're, you're dealing with more things than I am. Why would I want to get to know your Lord and Savior if that's the kind of life that you're living? But let the joy of the Lord come into your life. When trials and struggles come your way, let there be a pep in your step. When, when you live a, a separated life, when they, when they see Jesus in you, that's when they see how you act. And that's what gets their attention. And I'm not saying that it that it's going to take miracles, signs, and wonders to get the world's attention just to start a revival. But what I'm saying is what it takes is us acting like Christ, living a life full of joy and love and hope. That's what's going to get their attention. And don't get me wrong, I want to see miracles, signs, and wonders, but that's going to require us to step out of our comfort zones and learn to walk in his faith. I truly believe that God has given so many people here gifts, and he's just waiting on you to activate them so that miracles, signs, and wonders can be achieved. He's just waiting on somebody to act. But going back to Peter, verse 17 says, Then the high priest rose up, and all that were with him, which is in the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. They did not like the fact that Peter was having a revival. And they laid their hands on the apostles, and they put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go, stand and speak in the temple to all the people, all the words of life. What I love about this is they're literally thrown in jail for preaching the gospel. And in the middle of the night, an angel of the Lord comes and he, and he frees them. And he says, and I freed you because I want you to go back to the temple and I want you to speak life. And look at the change that's in Peter's life. Because before Peter was filled with the Holy Ghost, he, he always had a desire to do good. And he wanted to follow after God. But his flesh just kept getting in the way. He denied Christ three times because he... It wasn't because he didn't love God. It's because he was scared of what would happen to him if anyone found out who he was. And now we've got Holy Ghost-filled Peter who was just thrown into jail for, for healing the sick and casting out evil spirits. And as soon as he gets his freedom, 
from this jail cell. He doesn't run and hide, but he goes back and does exactly what the Lord called him to do. Fear can't dictate your life when you're filled with the Holy Ghost. And you're not filled with the Holy Ghost if it's, oh, I got filled with the Holy Ghost five years ago. That means I'm going to heaven. No, I'm talking about a renewing and a desire for more for each and every service, each and every day that you wake up saying, Lord, I want to be so full of your Holy Spirit, God, that when when the, the tough times come, Lord, I know that I can get through it and I have faith. I'm not saying that we won't get scared, but when we're truly filled with the Spirit of God and we're letting the Holy Ghost lead and guide us, then we're not going to be afraid to do what God calls us to do. You skip down to verse number 25, and it says, Then, the, then came one and told him, saying, Behold, the men who you put in prison are now standing in the temple, and they're teaching the, the people. Then went the captain of the officers who brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And when they brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. No hesitation in Peter's response. Peter says, I don't care about your agenda. I don't care if we shake up your world because God has called me to do a work. He's called me to act and I'm going to be obedient to the voice of God no matter what. Acts chapter 8, verse number 5 says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed to the things that, that Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with the palsies that were lame, they were also healed. And there was great joy in this city. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in that same city used sorcery, and he bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. And Simon, he, he was a, a bewitched man, he was a sorcerer, but he was a respected man in his community. You want to know what kind of mission field the Lord was calling these disciples to? It, it wasn't an easy one. They had to deal with some tough stuff. But God knew the people had turned to Simon because they were hungry. They needed a void filled. And he said, you know what? I've got to send somebody there that can fill that void. Verse 10 says, To whom uh, all gave heed for the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And him they had regard because of the time that he had bewitched them with sorcery. And when they believed the, Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, then they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs that were done. It says, even Simon was baptized. But if you keep on reading, you'll find out that he was not delivered from his wicked ways because the, the, the deliverance from that's going to come from the Holy Ghost. And although there was a hunger in Samaria, there was not yet an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Verse 14 says, Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they came down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw through laying on the apostles' hands that the Holy Ghost was given, he offered him money. He said, give me this power that on whomsoever I lay hands on, they may also receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto them, the money perish with thee, because thou hast uh, thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part of this lot or the matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore from this wickedness and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart be forgiven thee, for I have perceived that thou art gall and bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And I like the, the more English version of that. In verse 20 says, Peter replied and said, May your money be destroyed with you, thinking that God's gift can be bought. You cannot have no part of this because your heart, it's not right with God. You can't fool God and, and fool him, but repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts, for I see that you're full of bitter jealousy and you're captive by sin. You don't, you don't need to be jealous when you see God using other people. You, you, need to, you need to say, God, I want more of the Holy Ghost, Lord, that I, I can do something for you. And, and that, that, that power only comes from true repentance. It's not something that we can uh, to learn until we learn to die out to our flesh and give God complete control. 
Acts chapter 9, verse 32 says, Meanwhile, Peter traveled from place to place, and he came to the town to visit the believers in the town of, of Lydda. And there was an, a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. And Peter said unto them, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your sleeping mat. And he was healed instantly. And once again, someone's life was transformed because they were obedient to the word that was spoken over them. They didn't second guess or list the reasons why they weren't worthy. They just responded with actions. Verse 35 says, Then the whole population of Lydda and Sharon saw Aeneas walking around, and they turned to the Lord. There was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was also doing kind things for others, and she was helping the poor. She was a good woman. And about this time, she became ill, and she died. And her body was washed for burial, and it laid upstairs in a room. But the believers had heard that Peter was nearby at Lydda, and they sent two men to him to beg and say, please come as soon as possible. And when Peter returned with them, as soon as he arrived, they took him to the upstairs room. And the room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him the coats and the other clothes of Dorcas that they had made for them. But Peter asked them all to leave the room, and he knelt and he prayed. Turning to the body, he said, get up, Tabitha. And when she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave his hand and helped her, then called the widows and all the believers, and he presented to her to them alive. The news spread through the whole town, and many believed in the Lord. And I can't get away with how God used Peter. Because Peter could have easily laid hands upon each and every one of them and prayed for a healing. But each example that, that, that we're going through tonight, he spoke a word of faith, and then they had to respond to it. I'm speaking to somebody tonight. God has spoken a word over you, and you're just sitting there, and you're waiting for it to happen. God's needing someone to respond to his word tonight. He's calling someone to act. He's calling someone to receive their blessing. He's calling someone to receive the calling that he's spoken over you. And what I love is if you keep reading in the book of Acts, you get to the story of Cornelius in Acts 10. And God gives Peter a vision. And he gives him a a vision of, of how he's trying to change Peter's way of thinking. He uses the example of unclean animals and clean animals. But Peter's just confused. He doesn't understand. God gives him this vision, and it, it, just, it doesn't make any sense to him. In fact, if you go to Acts ten seventeen, it says that Peter was very perplexed. What could this vision mean? He, he just didn't know. And even though this vision, it doesn't make any sense to him, and he has no idea where God is going with it, when Cornelius' men arrive at his home, he follows them. He didn't send them away and say, you know what, I need to spend more time in prayer. I need to get a clear revelation of what God is trying to do. He's, he's starting a work on me, and I can't go anywhere until I know exactly what's going to happen next. But he followed after them, even though he was trying to still figure it out. He trusted God enough to step out in faith, and knowing that the Lord was going to be with him on this journey, no matter where it would lead him. And I love in verse 28, when he shows up to Cornelius' house, he is still not sure what God is trying to do. Verse 28 says, And he said unto them, You know that it's unlawful that a man is a Jew keep company or come with another nation. But God showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. He looked around at Cornelius in his house. He says, listen, I'm not supposed to be here. This this doesn't make any sense, but I'm just being obedient to God. And and I don't understand it yet, but I'm here. and I'm going to do what God told me to do. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not even supposed to associate with you. But God led me to you to talk to you about the power of God. You skip down to verse 42, and it says, And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that, that, he, that which is ordained by God to be the judge of dead and quick. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever in him shall receive remissions of sin. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell upon all them which heard the word. And they, were, and they of the, the circumcised which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the Gentiles also poured, because that on the Gentiles was, was also poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. And when they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God, then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these would not be baptized, that which received the Holy Ghost, as well as we? Gentiles got a chance at salvation because Peter decided to act in a time of uncertainty. 
Even though he was confused, even though he only had part of the vision, he trusted God enough to be obedient and take that step. God isn't always going to give us the whole picture, but that doesn't mean that we're not ready yet. It doesn't mean that we have to wait because God's not ready to use what he's, to do what he's called us to do. But if he started to speak to us, then we need to learn to act because he's about to do something amazing. In Acts 12, Peter, again, is in an impossible situation. Acts 12, 1 says, About the time that the king Herod Agrippa began to persecute some of the believers of the church, he had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with the sword. And when Herod saw that this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned them, placing him under the guard of the four, uh, four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while, while, while Peter was in prison, the church prayed earnestly for him. It was in the, the Passover, a time of celebration, a time where, where they were supposed to be joyful and focusing on the Lord. It was in their time of, of celebration that, that that's when the enemy says, you know what, I'm going to try to strike them down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to cause them pain, not, not on a normal day, but on a, on a day when they were ready to celebrate. The enemy is trying to stop God's progress, and he thinks he has the upper hand, but it says that the, jer- the church began to pray earnestly, and it appeared all hope was gone, and that defeat was a certainty. But the church began to pray. Verse 6 says, That night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep. And while the church is earnestly praying, believing for a miracle, we've got Peter who's asleep. And I've heard messages before where they, they say that Peter was asleep because he had so much faith in God that he just stopped worrying. But if you remember when Jesus called Peter a second time and he said, Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, he told him that there's going to be a a time in your life where you're going to be bound and you're going to be told where to go and you're not going to have freedom. And you're going to, you're going to go through persecution and you're going to lose your life for, for my word and for what I'm doing. And I believe that in my heart that Peter was sitting there in that, that jail cell and he says, you know what? God told me that, that one of these days this was going to happen and, and I'm going to die for preaching the word and I'm, that I'm just going to accept it, that, that God's done with me and that, that this is the end and my time has come. And I believe that, that God revealed that to me because he's, he sent me here to tell somebody that God is not done with you yet. The enemy wants you to believe that you fulfilled your call and there's nothing left for you to do. But God's waking someone up tonight saying there's still a work that I have for you to do. There's, there's still souls that I need you to reach. But you got to wake up and you got to get to work. Back to verse 6, it says that they were fastened with two chains between two soldiers and others stood guard at the prison gate. And suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrist. Then the angel told him, Get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow after me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel, but all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. God's making a way where there seems to be no way. He's taking Peter out of bondage and he's putting him into deliverance. And Peter has no clue what's going on. He thinks it's all just a vision. Then passed the first and the second guard post and they came to the iron gate leading to the city. And this opened for them all by itself. And they passed through and started walking down the street. And then the angel suddenly left him. He makes it all the way out of the prison cell. And it's not until the angel leaves him that Peter finally comes to his senses and he says, it's really true, he said, the Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what Jewish leaders had planned to do with me. He had finally realized that God's not done with me yet. There's still something that he wants me to do. And because of that, it says that he, when he realized it, he went straight to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked on the door at the gate and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back and told everyone, Peter's standing at the door. She was so excited that that God answered her prayers that that she just had to run and tell everybody. It wasn't even, she didn't even know for sure that it it was fulfilled, but she just, she heard the voice and she had enough, enough faith to go running back saying, you know what? God did something. 
it's amazing. She didn't wait to welcome Peter in and, and hug him and bring him in. But she said, you know what? I've got enough faith that I just hear the voice and I'm claiming it. And she goes back and she runs and tells everybody that Peter's standing at the door. And their response, these, these praying folks, these people that are earnestly praying, they say, you're out of your mind. They ins- and when she insisted and said, you know, he is there, they said, well, it must be his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued to knock at the door. And I love that. They're arguing over whether or not he's there or not. And he's just knocking. Just waiting. Come on. And I feel like that's us sometimes. That, that, that we've had this miracle and God's given us something. And he's saying, you know what, it's there. And we're debating. Did God really do it? Is God really? And we spend so much time debating that we don't even just going and take what God has given us. He's answered our prayers. He's just waiting on us to accept the fact that he's done it. This church was in this emergency prayer room, and it says that they were earnestly praying that God would do a miracle, and yet they're amazed when God does the impossible. I don't want to be amazed when God does the impossible, but I want to expect it. I want my prayers to be so full of faith that when I get done praying, I start looking for evidence that God's already done it. That I don't have to wait and say, well, well maybe, possibly, I... I still have a little bit of a tickle, so maybe... No, I'm, I just claim it and say, you know what, God, I, I believe that you've done it. God, I, I'm going to praise you and thank you for it. Peter was able to do so many great things because he desired more. He knew that, that the more that he grew and the more that he learned, the more that he was able to be used of God. And he wanted us to, to learn from these things. He wanted us to learn how to be effective in our ministry. Because having great potential is great. But putting in the work so you can achieve what God has called you to do, that's what's going to make a difference in the world. And what I love is that when, when Peter was, he wanted to pour out these lessons that he learned onto the next generation. And, and First and Second Peter are some of the smallest books in the Bible. If you go too fast, the pages might stick. You might even not know that they're there. But they're so, they're so packed full of wisdom and, and teaching us how to grow and how to be effective. First Peter 1.6 says, so be truly glad there's wonderful joy ahead, even though you might endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fires test and purified gold. For your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day that Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Verse 7 says that when you, perf- you profess your faith, and it's easy to say that with those words, but these trials, these tough times, that's where your faith is going to be proven. It's through these tough times that you're going to be purified. If you, if you know much about gold, when they, when they put it in the fire, the whole reason for it is because they remove those impurities. And when they remove those impurities, the gold is allowed to, to, to shine a little bit brighter. And when, when the, the impurities are removed, their, their value of that gold, it increases. And what Peter is trying to tell us is that these trials aren't meant to destroy us but they're there to increase our worth. They're allowing us to shine brighter so that we might get the attention of the world, that our faith might be proven. You skip down to verse number 13, and it says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action. And that's that word action again. We've got to prepare for action. We've got to do something. And being sober-minded. And while, yes, that means you don't drink, what it also means to be sober-minded is you need to have self-control. Don't let something external influence your mind or your circumstance. And see, this is the part where it's going to get super quiet because everyone's like, well, I don't drink, so that's an easy one. Uh, Being sober, I don't drink, move on, next verse. But do you allow someone's Facebook post or what someone says or does to dictate how you feel and to change your actions and your thoughts and to consume your every moment? You're scrolling through Facebook and all of a sudden you're happy and and go lucky and I can't believe they just said that. I'm going to... You, and you, you screenshot it and you send it to somebody else and you allow it to, to infiltrate your mind. You're allowing your circumstance to change because of an external source. God's saying, you know what? I want you to, to prepare for action and I want you to clear your mind. I want you to remove any kind of distraction. Anything that's going to take you away from what I'm calling you to do, you got to prepare your mind. you got to get focused. Sometimes that means deleting Facebook from our phones. Sometimes that means removing people from our lives. You don't have to love everybody. I mean, you you do have to love everybody, but you don't have to have them in your life. You don't have to like everybody. If someone 
every time you're around him, it rises up something in you and it takes you into a bad place, then, then don't be there. I, I've spoken to so many, I'm getting on a, on a tangent, but I've spoken to so many people that think, you know what? No, God placed him in my life because he wants me to reach him. You can still pray for him. You can still fast for him and God might open a door. But if every time you're around them, you become angry and you then don't go around them anymore. It says, be sober minded, purify yourself, be focused on what God has called you to do. It doesn't mean just putting away the bottle of booze. And if you struggle with booze, put away the bottle of booze, please. But take away anything that might influence you in a way that takes you away from your purpose. And if you're thinking of something right now and you're like, that's not it. Yes, it is. That's the thing that God wants you to remove from your life. That's the thing that's causing your focus to be drifted away from him. Back to verse number 13, it says, set your hope fully on the, on the grace that will be brought at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he that has called you is holy, you also will be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. God called you away from your past. It's your former ignorance. You didn't know any better. He's given you the benefit of the doubt. But now that you've got a revelation of who he is, he's called you to do something, and that's to separate yourself. It's time to live a holy life because he lived a holy life. In chapter number two, Peter comes in hot. He says, so get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisies, jealousy, and any unkind speech. Get rid of it all. Be like newborn babies that you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into the full experience of salvation and cry out for this nourishment. Peter says, we got to grow. In order to do things for God, we've got to learn to grow. And in order to grow, we've got to crave spiritual things. Anybody ever get a craving for something before? See, there's a difference between wanting something and having a craving for something. Because when you crave something, it, it, it's all you can think, of, think about. It's something that, that, that you're focused on. You see, if, if you're craving chocolate and I give you a carrot, well, first of all, you're probably going to slap me because I gave you a carrot when you're craving chocolate. But you see, that, 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 that carrot can fulfill the hunger need that you're having, but it's not going to fulfill your craving. Eating the carrot doesn't stop the desire for chocolate. And what Peter is saying is if you want to grow into the full experience of what God has for you, you can't just want it, but you got to crave it. you you, you, you got to be drawn to it. you you got to desire more. you got to cry out for more nourishment. That's how you're going to grow. And I'm sure many of us can quote verse number 9, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show your, uh, shoot forth your praises of him who have called you out of out of darkness and into his marvelous, marvelous light. He chose us. He called us to be different. And let's be honest, there's some of us that are a little bit more different than the others, but still he called us to be different. He chose us to help lead this world out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Verse 11 says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against your soul having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas you speak against your evildoers, they may, they may by your good works, which you shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Peter was saying, be an example to the unbelievers. Don't try to blend in with them. Be separate. Separate yourself from them. And when those unbelievers, they begin to speak evil against you and they're, and they're talking trash and and you're just trying to do the will of God, and they're coming against you, let your actions be the actions that the Lord is calling you to do. And that's, that, that was tough for me to read. It says, even when they're doing evil to you, be a blessing to them. Because, spoiler alert, the world is always watching us. When we think that they're not paying attention to anything we're doing, they're paying attention to us. And it's those times when you're doing good things, when they're being terrible to you, that's what's going to get their attention, and that's what's going to lead them to the Lord. Chapter 3, verse 8 says, Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. But instead, pay them back with a blessing. Peter says we need to learn to act like Christ. We don't need to get even. We don't need to seek revenge. But instead, we can use that time to let our light shine. To be a blessing. If you keep reading, it says that, that God has called you to do that, and he will grant you his blessing. 
It says when you're a blessing to those that are, that are terrible to you, then that's when you're going to get the blessings of God. And you know what? His blessings are so much greater than mine. I would rather be a blessing to, to my biggest enemy to receive what God has for me than to get my revenge here and, and to miss out on what God has in store for me. If you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. That's another tough one. It says... Not only do you search for peace, but you need to learn to maintain peace. Sometimes it's hard to keep your peace. This this is why we're learning to grow. It says, the eyes of the Lord watch over all those that do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face uh, against those who do evil. Now, who will want to harm you if if you're eager to do good? But if you suffer for what is doing right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid for their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Peter's going through a list and he's telling us that there's going to be times that we're going to go through some difficult things. And people are going to treat us badly and they're going to come against us and they're going to do all these terrible things. And then he follows it up and he says, and be ready to tell them about God. To be ready to explain it. Right after talking about all these people coming against us, he says, those are probably going to be the people that God wants you to reach, so you need to be prepared to explain it. That person that's treating you terrible, the the one that's making your life difficult, Peter says, God may be using your situation to reveal himself, and you need to be ready to to do his work. Verse 16 says, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear, then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when, when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. So it says, when people come and they're coming against you and they finally say, you know what, tell me more about God. He doesn't want you to sit down and say, you know what, let me tell you about every single thing you're doing wrong, why you're going to hell and why Jesus doesn't love you and why I'm more. No, he, he says, you need to do it with love, you, to, to be gentle and respectful. But Brother Josh, everything that I said was true. All I told them was that, homosexuality is a sin and you're going to hell and, and I, I, I can't tell a lie. He didn't tell us to tell him a lie, but he says to teach him out of love and out of kindness. We don't need to come at him with, with what's going wrong in their life, but we need to come at him and say, you know what? This is what God can do for you. This is what he can do amazing things for you. Let him reveal himself to them. When we sit down and we teach people about a, a Bible study with hope and love and faith, that's when we're going to reach them. God says that we need to be ready you need to be ready to be able to speak to it. First Peter 5 and 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh singing, seeking whom he may desire, devour. I cannot read tonight, I'm sorry. Be focused, be alert, because the enemy is trying to look to see who he can destroy, and what God is trying to build up, that's what the enemy is going to try to tear down. First Peter 1 and 3 says, or sorry, Second Peter 1 through 3 says, According to his divine power, he hath given us all things that pertain to life and, and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called, let us, called us to glory and to virtue, whereby given to us exceeding great and precious promises. He's given us exceeding great precious promises that we might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is this world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound you, they make you that, they make you that shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind, and cannot see afar off, and he hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you, if you do these things, you shall never fall. And the NLT version for verse 10 is a little bit different. It says, so dear brothers and sisters, work hard and prove that you really are among those that God has called and chosen. Peter's saying you got to put in the work. you got to turn your calling from being just potential that God saw in you into actions that he's called you to do. 
Because when you put in the work, you're not going to fall. You're not going to fail. So it's time that we start putting in some work. If we can all stand tonight, I'm beginning to close. I just have a simple question to ask. How many souls did, were led to Jesus by the potential and the preparation in Peter's life? The only reason why we care about the potential that Jesus saw in Peter and the only reason that we reference every lesson, every high and every low that Peter experienced in his preparation is because of the results that, that Peter had in his ministry. Because results matter. Revival started in the first church not because of the potential of Peter, but because of the actions and the ministry of Peter. Your potential doesn't get results. Your calling doesn't get results. But results come when you step out in faith and you let God use you to do what he's called you to do. God said he's going to equip us along the way. You might not understand what God is calling you to do. He, he may have given you just a part of the vision and it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But instead of waiting until everything makes perfect sense, we've got to learn to trust that, that God has sent us and we need to, to step out in faith. Because God says when we step out and we do something in him, that's when he's going to equip us along the way. We've got to learn to crave more of God in our lives. We've got to desire to grow and it's God's will for a revival to come to Kendallville, but he needs some disciples to go and reach a lost and dying world. It's God's will for a Holy Ghost outpouring to come, but he needs some altar workers. It's God's will that, 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 that we experience miracle signs and wonders, but it's going to require somebody that activates their faith. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of living in potential. I'm tired of living in, in preparation, but I want to live in a life of action, and I want to see results. God, I want to thank you for bringing us together tonight, Lord. And I want to thank you for the words that you've given to us, Lord. I, I know there's callings, Lord, that you've, be, you've been preparing in us, Lord. And I'm just asking, Lord, that you might be able to, to put a boldness in us tonight, Lord, that we might be able to, to t- take a step out in faith, God. And, Lord, I want to thank you because I've already heard of, of testimonies of things that you've already started doing in this year by, with people stepping out and, and, and going into new ministries. And I'm thankful for it, Lord. But, God, I want you to, to put a desire in each and every one of us, Lord, the, a craving for more, God, Lord, that we might be able to, to grow, Lord, that we might be able to have a revival, Lord, that, that, that the vision that pastor has for this church, Lord, that it might be fulfilled, Lord, that it not just be your will, God, but we be, we be your hands and feet, Lord, that your will might be able to be achieved in Kendallville. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a good night.